You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 8. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Episode 8 is going to be something a little bit different. For the very first time, I have figured out how to actually download the audio messages people have been leaving on my website. So there's that widget on the side panel that is an Ask an Immigration Question. And I was challenging everyone to please leave voice messages for me so that I can embed them into my podcast. Well, the hilarious thing is that I had a feature on that particular software widget that uh, I didn't have properly set. And so all of those messages were being pooled and were not being sent directly to my email as a notification. So uh, obviously my technological um, ineptness has shown through, but I figured out now how to do it. So this episode is going to be dedicated to answering the various questions that I have been receiving from listeners that uh, they have patiently been waiting uh, for answers for (laughs) and and uh, unfortunately, I never realized that they were there. So I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to see how it works. The sound quality is probably going to be all over the place because I'm definitely not uh, an audio guru, but uh, we'll see what we can do. The very first question is from Arslan. Hi, uh, my name is Arslan. I wanted to know uh, for the Canadian experience class, I'm actually freaking out here just because uh, I have almost a year of experience uh in uh, noc b uh what i'm wondering is my my employment is not under lmia like i can't get an lmia uh but i mean i did university here graduated here i've got almost years of experience one year of experience so all i wanted to know is what are the chances of me you know get applying for express entry and getting you know an ita um just because I don't have the LMIA, I don't. Uh, I'm guessing I'm losing that 600 points, and that's a huge amount of points here. Thank you, and please, uh, if you could get back to me, that would be great. Thank you. Well, Arslan, I can tell you that you are in one of those situations that many, many postgraduate students are in. So the postgraduate work permit holders used to be the golden child of Canadian immigration. In other words, you used to have so many options for applying for permanent residence in Canada. And it all changed on January the 1st of 2015 when Express Entry came in. And so you have a situation here where Arslan is in a, in a very, very common position. One year, almost one year of skilled work experience, at which stage he and many other postgraduate work permit students were probably uh, counting on being able to qualify under the Canadian Experience class. And then essentially the rug was taken right out from underneath them. So his experience is in knock B, which is a skilled position that would qualify. He completed his university degree here, which really should put him in a perfect position to be able to qualify for express entry. But 
what we learned when the new express entry program was released is that without a labor market impact assessed work permit, you do not get the extra 600 points to qualify. And so that job offer supported by an LMIA is the golden ticket. But the problem with most postgrad students is that they are entering into entry-level positions. And when you're in those types of position, it's hard for the company to show that there is no Canadian that can do the job. So they've sacrificed, these, these international students have sacrificed their lives to come here, to go to school with the understanding that they would have a pathway to permanent residence. And despite what Citizenship and Immigration Canada has to say about the process and the relative ease of qualifying, it's simply not the case. And so individuals like Arslan is really in a difficult position. Now, he didn't explain exactly uh, his qualifications, whether he had prior work experience if he came to Canada or anything along those lines. So it's difficult to tell for certain if he would have a chance of qualifying. What we do know is that his Canadian work experience is valuable. And depending upon the English language test he's written, if he's able to get at least a nine on the Canadian language benchmark across the board, he may just have a chance. But largely it depends upon the prior work experience that he had, if any, before he came to Canada. Because if this is his first opportunity working in skilled occupations, then he's probably going to have to try and work in Canada on his postgrad work permit a little bit longer to try and acquire more Canadian work experience to qualify I also assume that he's probably in about the right age bracket. So ultimately, for these individuals who are in this position, it really sucks. I'll be honest with you. It really does. Because they have counted on and, and planned their whole, you know, the, their whole educational career on having a pathway to permanent residence. And now it may or may not be there. So if Arslan is not able to get a labor market impact assessment, um, at least his employer able to get one for him, then the only options that he has is to either try and find another employer who's able to do it and get that, that job offer supported by an LMIA or continue to work to accumulate more work experience in conjunction with his education. And if he completed uh, his degree, obviously he can't go back and then do a master's and hope to get another postgrad work permit because that's not how they work. It's kind of like a one and done situation. So for Arslan, you really need to assess your, your score and uh, we know that the lowest point threshold right now is 450 points. But it is possible that that, pr that number will drop uh, in the new year. Uh, the government has told us repeatedly that the sweet spot is somewhere between 300 and 400, 350 and 450 points. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I feel for you, Arslan. I feel for all of you post-grad work permit students who were really caught unaware, like all of us, with this new express entry system. So I wish you all the luck. All right, let's get to our next question. Hi, my question is, uh, while applying in Express Entry, my there's option to option of job offer, um, but my status is I've been working in a company uh, from past year or more, and I still have my postgraduate work permit left for two years, which was given to me after I graduated. So right after graduating, uh, my company hired me and they never applied any LMIA or basically there was no LMIA option or rule when they hired me. So I'm still employed and I'll be employed for two years, hopefully, knock on wood. But for a job offer, I actually don't need a job offer from any other, a job offer from any other company. So can I, can I, how can I put in the 
in the online portal saying that yes do 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 you have a job offer against can i say yes and for lmie part the next question is do you do i have uh do you have an lmie positive lmie uh, since I, my company never applied an mia um i have no idea how to put it please uh, it would be nice if you can provide me some help thank you okay this question is similar to arslan's question in that it impacts an individual who is in canada on a postgraduate work permit and uh, in the case of this individual what he's really asking is uh, what constitutes a job offer for the purpose of express entry now, probably since the time in which he left this question, we know that uh, immigration has done a little bit better job of explaining to people what job offers really mean. And uh, what we know now is that a job offer is only a job offer if it is supported by a labor market impact assessment. So when you are filling out your express entry profile, if you do not have a job offer supported by an LMIA, you simply click no and then none of those answers uh, or those other questions relating to LMIAs, etc., will appear. Okay, let's get to our next question. Hello, I just need to quickly ask if I um, if I received a letter from immigration from CIC saying that I went out of status and was asking me to to pay uh, pay a certain amount and uh, fill up some forms again. Um, from that from the time I would submit to the time I hear from them, am I still allowed to work? Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, this is a great question. This is one of the probably most misunderstood or um, absolutely ignored principles within the, the, the concept of a work permit extension. So what's happened with this uh, individual here is that she applied for her work permit. I'm suspecting that probably the labor market impact assessment wasn't available by the time a decision was made on her work permit, and it was refused. When you receive that refusal letter, Citizenship and Immigration Canada outlines the concept of restoration for you. So you have the ability to restore your status within 90 days of uh, you know receipt of that letter. And... Um, pay an extra $200 to, to resubmit your application. Um, if circumstances have changed, you know, if your LMIA, LMIA has come in or you're able to resolve whatever the reason was for them refusing that application. And so the loaded question here in the context of a work permit and when you're working is uh, she asks from, uh, you know, from the time that, that she uh, receives that letter and, and then submits her new application or her restoration application uh, to the time she receives the approval, can she work during that restoration period? And I can tell you unequivocally that the answer is no, you may not work during that period. And one of the challenges that people have is that, well, how does immigration know? You know, and the reality is they, they, they don't. Um, you know, unless you've got a friend uh, or a coworker or someone who you have a falling out with who then rats you out to immigration, there is no real mechanism for Citizenship and Immigration Canada. Well, there is a mechanism, but they just don't bother, you know, going to search to see if people are working while they're in a restoration period. So, um, you know, so that's one factor that you have to consider. But I can tell you from the basis of, of a legal interpretation, you are not eligible to work. 
only during the implied status stage are you able to work. So if you submitted your work permit extension before your existing work permit expired, then during that period of time, you're able to continue working under the same terms and conditions. However, if your work permit application has been refused, then you must stop work until you get the new work permit. So just to clarify, when you're in a restoration period and you're resubmitting a work permit application, you cannot continue to work for your employer. Okay, let's get to the next question. Hi, I'm wondering um, when I'm filling out my work experience in Express Entry Profile, do we include all work experience, even areas that I know aren't counted towards any of the programs, i.e. Um, sales assistant work while I was studying? I, I believe that that's not in any way applicable, but do we include everything like that? Or when I worked in a cafe five years ago back home, I'm, I'm unsure of whether to include this or not um, because I'm well aware that it's not related to my current occupation and has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do while I'm here in Canada, which is working in film. Um, any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. All right. This is another excellent question. I guess that's probably why I chose it. One of the biggest issues that we have with Express Entry is that it gives the impression that you need to divulge every single thing in terms of work experience, education for the principal applicant, uh, the same thing for spouses. It gives the impression that you need to include all of that information in uh, your application within, well, within the profile when you're submitting it. But the problem is when you include it all, even when it's completely irrelevant and is not going to count towards anything for your permanent resident application, then you have to produce all of these reference letters, these educational credential assessments, and all of this other documentation to support what you've indicated in your application. So this is probably the biggest tip, and I probably shouldn't be giving away all of this juicy information, but the reality is this is probably one of the most important things that you can do. And uh, because we're dealing specifically with work history here, that's what I'll focus on. When you're completing your profile, it specifically says under the work history section, we will assess, you know, individual John Smith's current and previous jobs for eligibility for express entry and use them to calculate um, the, the comprehensive ranking system score. So, the most important thing that you, need to, that you need to understand is that it is not mandatory in any way, shape, or form that you include work experience that's irrelevant. So the answer to this question is no. You do not need to include other uh, you know, jobs that do not get you points uh, um, under the CRS score system or um, that do not advance your, your, uh, your eligibility for one of the other permanent resident categories. So if you need 67 points um, to qualify for the Federal Skilled Worker Program, and uh, you've got work experience, skilled work experience abroad that allows you to do that, then yeah, you're going to include it. But if you've met the 67-point threshold and you meet that initial eligibility uh, requirement and you've got your maximum points for skilled work experience, you do not need to include um, work experience that, for example, is over 10 years old because it's not counted. In like manner, if you have any work experience that is um, 
uh, in uh, a skill level of C or D, then you also are not going to be including that because it's a waste. You get no points for it. It's not recognized under the comprehensive ranking system. And essentially, you are stuck in a position where you are going to have to hunt down reference letters to complete the uh, permanent resident application portion uh, when it asks within the documentation for you to upload all of those reference letters. So don't waste your time. It's not misrepresentation for not including all of your work history because this is just for the purposes of assessing your comprehensive ranking score and your eligibility for express entry. There is plenty of time once you get to the permanent resident stage to then provide a detailed history of everything that you've done for the past 10 years. So that's my, uh, my, my tip of the day. Uh, be strategic in how you do it. You don't need to include anything more than what you require to, to guarantee that you're going to be drawn and get granted an invitation to apply. So to maximize your CRS, score, uh, your CRS points and also to make sure that you meet the eligibility requirements for either the federal skilled worker uh, the Canadian Experience class, or the Federal Skilled Trade Program. So there is the super tip of the day. Well, we've had some great questions for this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, this Q&A episode. Uh, I think we have time for one last question. So let's get to that last question right now. Hello, I am Mary Ann B. Loriano. Uh, my husband is working here under spousal visa, and this coming October, I have a uh, plan to submit my express entry application. I am the principal. Is he required to get the English test also? My husband required the English test also. Please and thank you. All right. So that was our final question. And this is my final answer. Uh, yes, yes, this is my final answer, Regis. All right, let's finish this off. Uh, it's been an awesome podcast. All right, so this is a great question. So essentially, what she is asking is, is it really worth it to have a spouse have their language assessment done? Um, and the short answer is absolutely. And the reason for that is if you are a married person, you're actually prejudiced under the express entry system. If your spouse is, it does not have an English level that is as high as yours, or really good English, or really good language, or has not worked in Canada, then you, compared with a single applicant, are actually going to suffer for it. And in fact, the Canadian um, experience, work experience, can get a spouse an extra 10 points if they have good education, and that's supported by an educational credential assessment, that's another 10 points. And to round it off, and this relates specifically to this question, a spouse can get up to 20 additional points. So if you do not have your spouse assessed, in other words, the ECA isn't done to support the education, they don't write a language test, and they haven't worked in Canada, then you're losing 40 points. So it's pretty simple. It's a no-brainer. If your spouse does have the ability to get some of these points, then you are definitely going to want to scratch and claw for every point you can get, especially given where the comprehensive ranking system scores are and how very, very competitive it is, uh, competitive it is to um, qualify and receive that magical invitation to apply. So this comes to the close of our, ex uh, our, our episode eight 
of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1. My name is Mark Holthy. I'm a Canadian immigration lawyer and uh, now apparently a podcaster. And to add one more feather to the cap, we, uh, the founder, and I've got some other people helping me do this, of the Canadian Immigration Institute. And in that uh, specific institute, we are going to be carrying forward with our very first express entry course, full course covering everything from the profile to completing your job seeker um, profile within the job bank, Uh, to maximizing your score on the comprehensive ranking system all the way through to receiving your ITA and ultimately filing your permanent resident application. We're going to walk you through the whole process. And uh, there's a number of reasons why I've decided to do that. As a Canadian immigration lawyer, I have the opportunity to work with some wonderful people one-on-one to represent executives, professionals. I act for large multinational companies all over the world. But ultimately, the, the... situation I found myself in recently is that there's so many people that just can't afford my fees and I am not able to assist them. So what I've decided to do is to offer my information and knowledge in the form of a course. And so rather than me taking on your application and having my staff and myself fill out your forms, I show you how to do it yourself. And in that fashion, you can save just enormous amounts of money on the cost of completing the application while at the same time knowing for certain that you're doing things properly and you're getting every ounce of advice and direction that you would get if you engaged us directly. Now, there's some people that will just want the peace of mind and don't have the, uh, the desire to work through the process of filing their own express entry application. And we would be absolutely delighted to be engaged through my law firm, Holthy Tillman LLP, to act on your behalf and represent you before Citizenship and Immigration Canada. But those of you who are interested in doing it yourself, not spending the you know anywhere from uh, three to five thousand dollars to to hire someone to assist you, uh, a representative, we're going to show you how to do that for a fraction of the cost. So stay tuned. There's uh, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and um, and then also go to our CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website and uh, register to be placed on our mailing list. Within the next week, we are going to send out our next invitation for for our um, uh, express entry webinar that's going to be loaded with free tips and strategies um, on express entry. And we'll also give more details on the course that we're going to be, uh, the express entry full comprehensive course that we're going to be rolling out to the Canadian Immigration Institute. And I am really looking forward to doing that. The first one was awesome. And the people that participated were fantastic. And we, we got some great reviews and I got some great suggestions and advice on making uh, the, the program really do what people needed to do. So make sure that you do that. Uh, but other than that, it's been a delight and a pleasure to, to be involved. I'm hoping that I can get uh, Billy Young, uh, my colleague here, the ex-immigration officer, back on for us to have a little debate over um, the assessment of an application. And as you are very well aware, many times the result that you get on your application depends on the officer that you get. So myself as an ex-immigration officer and, uh, and Billy also as an immigration officer, we are going to debate in our next podcast a sticky situation with a client. Well, not one of our clients, but we'll call it kind of a real slash fictitious scenario 
where I'm going to pretend that I'm one officer deciding whether I'm going to approve it, and she is going to be another officer, and you'll get a firsthand taste at the um, at the interaction that can often occur uh, between officers within Citizenship and Immigration Canada when they're trying to decide whether or not to approve an application. And so hopefully you'll get some some more insider intel on the adjudication process with immigration. And it should be a lot of fun as her and I have definitely different positions on whether or not we would approve some applications. Billy tends to be the bad cop. I tend to be the good cop. But ultimately, as you're submitting your applications, no matter what they are, temporary applications, work permits, or permanent applications, make sure that every single I is dotted and T is crossed and that you are giving your absolute best chance of success. Leave nothing to the discretion of the officer. Okay, that's a little tip for the end. Uh, I look forward to uh, joining you again in our next episode nine. Uh, If you have any questions that you'd like to leave with me, We now know that the Ask an Immigration Question widget on the Canadian Immigration Podcast and the Holthy Tillman LLP websites are working. So if you leave those for me, I will try to include them in our next podcast. This is Mark Holthy, Canadian Immigration Lawyer, uh, broadcasting to you uh, from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada, where there is no snow on the ground. It is beautiful outside, and I absolutely love where I live. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Yeah.